Good evening, dummies. Episode, hell, I don't know, 190. 190. Friday, July 16th, 727 p.m. I just got off live on Facebook. That was the best live we've had outside of election night. I think we had 43 on at one point. I think over 600 people saw it. 130 some odd com- or likes and a whole bunch of comments. That's great. That's what I want, right? I, I love the 10 people that used to be on our live show, but it's, it's nice to have more people on. Uh, we will continue to grow. And the more people we have on, the more live shows I will do. And honestly, it's more fluid. When you do a recorded show, you kind of have to script it out. You have to read a little bit more than I like to. I, I like to just go off the cuff, right? I don't like to be so pomp and circumstance like uh, I'm literally on the evening news. I like to just kind of, I don't know, freestyle, I guess. And, and, and the problem with freestyling is that you might get something wrong. You might say something incorrect. But that's okay. That's what it's all about. So if you haven't had a chance, you can actually play the live show. And it will be on right below this, this show you're watching now, episode 190. And if you just want to get a little bit more and you're like, hey, you know what? I want to watch more of a relaxed freestyle version of Matt and interacting with his fans. You can turn this off and go down there and get the gist of what I'm going to talk about tonight. But of course, if you want more detail and you want to learn something and have all the specifics, this is the one you go to right here. Plus having opinion. Welcome, folks. What in the hell are we doing tonight? Well, we're going to have... Fun. It is Friday, Red Friday, hence why I'm wearing red. And in the little picture I showed you, I'm pointing to the red on my hat. Red Friday is remember everyone deployed, everyone in the military who is overseas. It's a great way to remember. Just put on some red. doesn't matter. It could be a button. It could be a shirt. It could be a hat. doesn't matter what it is. Would you tell me how to get to how to get to Censorship Street? Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, again today, did something that she hasn't done before. She actually proved Donald Trump's lawsuit to the entire nation in probably one of the dumbest things she could have done. She actually told the truth. Donald Trump, you know, is suing Facebook and social media in a class action lawsuit that is going to essentially say that they have throttled and censored certain voices, specifically Republican voices, unfairly, and that it's unconstitutional and against freedom of speech and other things to that effect, but basically unethical business practices as well. And most people thought that this would be very difficult to prove, except Jen Psaki essentially stood out today and asked the social media companies to do just that. We'll go into it tonight. It's pretty crazy. I'm sorry, can you please play that in a minor instead of a major? You all know how I feel about the American flag and the national anthem. I'm a patriot, and yes, I'm probably a little bit of a nationalist. Don't put white in front of that, you pricks. Liberals here, nationalists, and go, oh, he's a Nazi. No, I believe in my country, and it should be America first. We're not the world police. We don't need to keep paying people for being nice to us. We have a great, great, large military. We can pretty much flatten anybody. Piss off. But anyway... The national anthem is important to me, and we don't need it at sports games. I really don't care about that. What I have a problem with is that the black national anthem, which I didn't even know existed up until a few months ago, will now be played in all NFL games. Like, the NFL didn't get enough with the taking a knee. Do you think people are really going to keep putting up with this? We have already completely abandoned the NBA. We have abandoned the NFL. Hockey and baseball have the highest ratings ever. Do you think the NFL would get a hint? Well, no, they didn't, because they're also going to allow paraphernalia, 
around Black Lives Matter on uniforms and shoes and buttons and helmets. But they wouldn't allow the thin blue line, socks, or 9-11 stickers on the back of a helmet because they said that was politicization. Sure don't understand the difference. And I don't think the NFL does, and we'll go through it tonight. Lastly, I'm not going to rush in through this. The Cold War, very big fan of history when it comes to the Kennedy assassination, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and specifically the Cold War. Tonight, I'm going to go through what happened to Russia, which was a booming economy, a world power, which was on the stage and actually was growing through socialism and ultimately would have fallen, which it did. But there were some specific reasons why they did that forced it to happen sooner than they anticipated. And that was all by design through America and also an accident by Russia. What did they do to contribute to their fall? We'll talk about that tonight. It's going to be a fun show. I always say that, but darn it, maybe tonight everyone, including the whole world, will agree with me. Sure was fun having all those people on live. I loved it a lot. If Russia were to attack Turkey from the rear, would Greece help? from an undisclosed location always honest always direct so sit back relax don't unfriend me starts right now Well, thank you, dummies, for stopping by tonight. I hope you stay for the whole show. I'm sure you'll have some fun. But wait a second. Why am I calling you dummies? Well, it's pretty simple. The dummies, the D-U-M's, are the don't unfriend me's. Barstool Sports has their stoolies. We have dummies. So it's a rite of passage. It's a positive thing. The dummies. Hillary Clinton called us deplorable. We are the dummies. But there also is another side to that coin. The dum-dums, led by Dusty Dinkelman. The dum-dums are the people who are just here to argue, who never want to learn a thing, who just want to try to justify their own existence, and in some feeble attempt to make you feel less than who you are, simply because they really have no desire to learn anything. They just want to bitch and complain and pretend that they're smarter than you. And when you provide facts, they throw hissy fits and tell you that it's not true. And honestly, who needs that? It comes down to this. If you spam my page, if you troll my page... If you insult my viewers, whether they're left or right, I don't care, you're gone. And if you post falsehoods and you say things that are entirely contradictory to the truth, you're going away. The thing about history, folks, is facts don't care about your feelings. And you can go ahead and say that what I say on this show isn't true. You have a right to do that. But you don't need to make shit up. And if you do, you will go away. There's your warning. You may not care, but just know that I don't care either. What are we doing tonight? Well, we've already talked about it, but if you would like to try to watch other shows from Don't Unfriend Me, I guess maybe you need to dive into it if this is your first time and see. But if you've watched it once or twice or even more than that, you are a dummy. And when you finish tonight, you'll be a dummy too. So make sure to like, share, and subscribe on YouTube. Head over to Facebook, hit like, and follow. It really makes a difference. And if you're watching this video on any of those social media platforms, just go down and hit a like. It helps. Let's me know how we're doing. Or tell me why you disagree below. Nothing wrong with disagreeing. Disagreeing is fine. It keeps us sharp. It keeps us fresh. Lastly, if you're not a social media person, you can go to dotaandfriendme.com. 
You can find my entire catalog there, video and podcast, even some of my blog. Stop on by. I do some updates there once in a while. And let's get started tonight. Remember, you can love me, you can hate me, we can agree, we can disagree. Just don't unfriend me. Would you tell me how to get how to get to Censorship Street? The federal government is stepping up its effort to purge the internet of COVID-19 misinformation. Ooh. Very official. On Thursday, White House Press Secretary Jinsaki singled out a dozen specific anti-vaccine Facebook accounts. Ooh, a dozen. And called on the platform to ban them. There's about 12 people, quote, who are producing 65% of vaccine misinformation on social media platforms. That sounds like misinformation and a made-up stat. 80% of the stats that are made are made up on site. All of them remain active on Facebook, she said, despite some even being banned on other platforms, including ones that Facebook owns. She was discussing a Department of Health and Human Services, the HHS report, on confronting health misinformation. It instructs social media platforms to redesign their algorithms so that false information about COVID-19 is deprioritized to shield journalists and medical professionals from harassment and even to address misinformation during live streams, a task that the report admits is difficult given the stream's temporary nature and use of audio and video. Quote, we all have the power and responsibility to confront health misinformation, tweeted Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. That's why we included recommendations for individuals, educators, researchers, health professionals, tech companies, and more. The federal government is not explicitly ordering tech platforms to take down content, they said. These dictates are essentially strongly worded suggestions. In other words, you're fucking telling them to do it. But you're forgiven if you think Saki's summary of the report sounded like command. Quote, Facebook needs to move more quickly to remove harmful, volatile posts. She said, posts that would be within their policy for removal often remain up for days, and that's too long. The information spreads too quickly. Saki was alluding to the anti-vaccine content through the report itself which impugns medical disinformation. More broadly, of course, the government itself has spread plenty of medical misinformation themselves, from the early bad guidance on masks to the White House coronavirus SAR Anthony Fauci deliberate misstatements about the herd immunity threshold. For months, the government health officials treated the lab leak theory of COVID-19 and the origins of it as a wild conspiracy theory, and Facebook followed suit by banning and shutting people down. It vigorously censored content that promoted the lab leak theory, including my own. That policy was not revised until June. Efforts by the government and tech platforms to suppress misinformation have undeniably resulted sometimes in the suppression of information that is either factual or could plausibly turn out to be factual. This has been the case outside the realm of the pandemic-related content as well. New initiatives undertaken by the federal government that would encourage Facebook to even more heavy-handedly with potential misinformation, it should be met with skepticism. The track record is just not very encouraging for them. The White House's targeting of Facebook should make critics a little sympathetic to Mark Zuckerberg's position. Prominent legislators from both political parties, as well as the current and former presidents, want to aggressively regulate his company, if not break it apart entirely. Facebook CEO must feel tremendous pressure to give federal health bureaucrats exactly what they're asking for or else. First of all, don't be don't feel bad for a billionaire. Instead of defending the rights of private companies to set their own moderation, 
and policies independent of whatever the government would like them to do, Republicans are taking this opportunity to further erode Facebook's autonomy. Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri even suggested that the site's submission to the feds renders it an agent of the state. Here's my opinion. We are in a battle, not for or against a vaccine, not for or against mask or hydrochloroquine. No, we are in a battle to speak freely, to disagree, to have a dissenting view against the present government rulers. It's not a small thing. It is the essence of our democracy and establishes our freedom. We defeated Britain as much through pamphlets as through bullets. Civil rights victories have been won through people taking beatings because they dared to speak in the face of those who wished to quiet them. First Amendment Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That may sound familiar. It happens to be the First Amendment. If the government is telling Facebook what to censor, then that makes Facebook essentially a government media outlet and thereby, thereby nullifies any Section 230 protection that they have. The government is in collusion with the press in order to su- suppress free speech. We have an obligation to continue the wheels turning. Even if we're wrong, we have the right to be wrong. There are so many things throughout history that people didn't want to say. They didn't want to talk about the Vietnam War. People didn't stand up for the Jews in the Holocaust. They didn't stand up and rise against slavery, zoning laws, unfair practices with Jim Crow, bank lending, the homeless, veterans being spit on, homosexuals, gays, lesbians, transgenders being beat. We have to stand up and say something. We cannot look at this from the proverbial cell phone and record it from afar while someone is literally being pounded into the ground. We must stand up and take the risk. Tonight I was asked by one of my viewers, how do you not get in Facebook jail? Because I use logical fact to argue. And if I was spewing bullshit all the time and disinformation, would I have a platform? No. They would pull my strings. They have suspended the Hodge twins. They have went after Shapiro. They have went after Candace Owens. They have went after Bill O'Reilly. And I am a small timer, 22,000 people. But if I was pushing falsehoods, you know I would be shut down. I try to speak the truth. I try to be balanced and I try to give you the very best that I can. But this is censorship and this is what it feels like. And this is that alarmist group that you've been hearing. You know, those right wingers that say and compare this to Nazism. Doesn't it feel like it just a little bit? And maybe we're not being thrown in the gas chambers and being burned alive. And we're not being put on trains and being fed a piece of bread or two a day, if anything at all. But slowly but surely, our rights are being taken away. And it's not done by a hammer. It is small pieces at a time where we become numb to what's happening and we can't see the big picture as they whittle away slowly and chip away at our freedoms and our rights as Americans to question the authority that dares become tyrannical, that dare oppresses us like other governments have in the past. And that day 
requires us to stand up with words and pen and paper so we never have to carry a rifle against our own government because that's what's called for when things like this happen. I'm sorry, can you please play that in a minor instead of a major? The NFL will play the Black National Anthem before all games during the 2021 season, including the September 9th kickoff game and the playoffs. As part of a 10-year, $250 million commitment to fighting racism in America, reports say. I have no problem with the Black National Anthem or the Black Anthem or whatever you want to call it. It's actually beautiful. It's pretty. And there are plenty of songs that we could sing. Why this? What is it saying? Let's find out. Additionally, the league announced it will feature social justice messaging on the field, signage and helmet decals and public service announcements, according to a report by Front Office Sports. Rap mogul Jay-Z, Rock Nation, has been advising the league on its Inspire Change initiative. The moves follow a league-wide test run last season in which the song Lift Every, Voice and Sing, oh, Every, sorry, there's no E, was played before the start of games in Week 1 and at Super Bowl 55 and a performance by Alicia Keys. The song will be performed ahead of the Star-Spangled Banner, according to reports. The league's remarkable and sudden groundswell of support for the Black Lives Matter movement was seen as an astonishing about-face from three years ago when the league blackballed quarterback Colin Kaepernick for kneeling during the national anthem as a silent protest against police brutality. The majority of NFL players are black. But many conservative voices and right-wing media outlets are criticizing the anthem change as politically motivated amid a national cultural shift on race following last year's police killing of George Floyd. But here's the thing. There are 192 official anthems in the world today. And since America is a melting pot of wide variety of races, creeds, and nationalities, we should play them all before the games. Now that we covered that, we will need to ensure we play the 226 different nationalities and find them their own song. And what about the 700 different ethnic groups within those nationalities to ensure diversity and inclusion is, above all else, held to the highest standards? Now, let's not forget gender. Maybe we could do When a Man Loves a Woman by Michael Bolton. No, because there are now 64 genders and pronouns in men and women. It's offensive. So we need to include those too. Maybe Land of Confusion by Phil Collins is available. How about Sexual Preference? Sexual Preference is also a handful, but the Sexual Science Institute of Study has agreed that YMCA from the village people sums it up nicely. Straight people don't agree, but fuck them. Who cares what they want anyway? They're a bunch of white people. You see how incredibly stupid this is? We are diluting our national anthem to the one thing it is and isn't about. Race. The only classification that is necessary is to be an American or to believe in the nation of laws we follow and uphold them. In fact, the God-given liberties apply to all on American soil. It is, in fact, everyone's right, whether you agree with the country or not. I get how some would find it empowering, separating themselves from the country that makes them powerless at times. But the thing is, we're trying to fight the long fight here. I think people have lost sight of the fact that the long-term goal is unity, not to be seen as white Americans and black Americans or Latino Americans or Asian Americans or a transgender unicorn, non-binary lawn gnome. Whatever the arbitrary line you want to draw between color, but we're just Americans. 
And how ironic and backwards that people want to move in the direction of separate but equal. So the next thing we may hear is this just in. Water fountains at all NFL stadiums will now be labeled for whites only and for blacks only. Yeah, that is just as fucking stupid as this. We can all stand for the national anthem. It's not a white anthem. It's not a black anthem. It's the national anthem of America. The United States. The citizens within. We are all granted these God-given rights. Even if you weren't born here. The moment you step on this soil, you have those rights. And these rights are inalienable. And it's not just America. It's the world. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is a value we all hold, no matter what sexual or religion or belief or color or geographic location you're in or socioeconomic status, we are all allowed to be who we are. The national anthem doesn't stop that, and it's a false narrative. And if we add the black anthem, where does it stop? Just like the pronoun game. First it was five, then it was 16, now it's 40, now it's 68. When does it stop? It never will stop. Because once black people aren't recognized, Latinos will say they aren't, and Asians. This is what happens. Then you're going to find Serbians are feeling oppressed, maybe Muslims. When does it stop? Why can't we agree that one national anthem has nothing to do with the race, color, and creed of our people. It has everything to do with the red, white, and blue in our bloodstream. If we do this, and we keep adding more and more anthems to this until we appease everybody, the season will never end. It will go on for 12 months, and 90% of it will be played with nobody in the stands as the loudspeaker starts on a Monday. And we'll then go ahead and stop on a Sunday when NFL kicks off. There aren't enough hours in the day to appease everybody. We already have one that does it. It's called the National Fucking Anthem. The NFL is a soup sandwich. And I promise you this. The NBA are the lowest ratings they've ever seen. CNN is in the tank. If they think that this is going to turn it around, just ask Nike. The NFL has no idea what it's doing. They need to get a clue. Leave politics out of sports. I'm not going to rush on you through this. On December 25th, 1991, the Soviet flag flew over the Kremlin in Moscow for the last time, and representatives from Soviet republics, the Ukraine, Georgia, Belarus, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Moldova, Turkmenistan, and Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan. Holy Stan had already announced that they would no longer be a part of the Soviet Union. Instead, they declared they would establish a commonwealth of independent states because the three Baltic republics, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, had already declared their independence from the USSR. Only one of its 15 republics, Kazakhstan, remained. The once mighty Soviet Union had fallen, largely due to the great number of radical reforms that Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev had implemented during his six years as leader of the USSR. However, Gorbachev was disappointed in the dissolution of his nation and resigned from his job on December 25th. Merry Christmas. It was a peaceful end to a long, terrifying, and sometimes bloody epoch in world history. The origins and the evolution of the Soviet Union 
are just as interesting. In the Russian Revolution of 1917, revolutionary Bolsheviks overthrew the Russian Tsar, and four socialist republics were established. In 1922, Russia proper joined its far-flung republics to reform the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. The first leader of the Soviet state was the Marxist revolutionary Vladimir Lenin. Soviet Union was supposed to be a society of a true democracy, but in many ways it was no less repressive than the czarist autocracy that preceded it. It was ruled by a single party, the Communist Party, that demanded the allegiance of every Russian citizen after 1924. When the dictator Joseph Stalin came to power, the state exercised totalitarian control over the economy, administering all industrial activity and establishing collective farms. It also controlled every aspect of political and social life. People who argued against Stalin's policies were arrested and sent to labor camps known as gulags or executed worse. After Stalin's death in 1953, Soviet leaders denounced his brutal policies but maintained the Communist Party's power. It's kind of like people fleeing California and New York, going to red states, and then voting for the blue yet again. They focused in particular on the Cold War with Western powers, engaging in a costly and destructive arms race with the United States while exercising military force to suppress anti-communism and extends its homogeny into Eastern Europe. In March 1985, a longtime Communist Party politician named Mikhail Gorbachev assumed the leadership of the USSR. He inherited a stagnant economy and a political structure that made reform all but impossible. Gorbachev introduced two sets of policies that he had hoped would help the USSR become a more prosperous, productive nation. The first of these was known as glasnost, or political openness. Glasnost eliminated traces of Stalinist repression, like the banning of books and the omnipresent secret police, and gave new freedoms to Soviet citizens. Wow, that kind of sounds familiar. Political prisoners were released. Newspapers could print criticisms of the government, and for the first time, parties other than the Communist Party could participate in elections. The second set of reforms was known as the perestroika, or economic restructuring. The best way to retrieve and revive the Soviet economy, Gorbachev thought, was to loosen the government's grip on it. He believed that the private initiative would lead to innovation, so individuals and cooperatives were allowed to own businesses for the first time since the 1920s. Workers were given the right to strike for better wages and conditions, and Gorbachev also encouraged foreign investment in Soviet enterprises. However, these reforms were slow to bear fruit, and perestroika had torpedoed the command economy that had kept the Soviet state afloat. But the market economy took time to mature, in his farewell address, Gorbachev summed up the problem. The old system collapsed before the new one had time to begin working. Rationing shortages and endless queuing for scarce goods seemed to be the only results of Gorbachev's policies. As a result, people grew more and more frustrated with his government. The Revolution of 1989. Gorbachev believed that a better Soviet economy depended on better relationships with the rest of the world, especially the United States. Even as President Ronald Reagan called the USSR evil, the evil empire, and launched a massive military buildup, Gorbachev vowed to bow out of the arms race. He announced that he would withdraw Soviet troops from Afghanistan, where they had been in a fighting a war since 1979, the American Vietnam. And he reduced the Soviet military presence in the Warsaw Pact nations of Eastern Europe, which stopped the constant threat of tanks blitzkrieging into England. 
This policy of non-intervention had important consequences for the Soviet Union. But first, it caused the Eastern European alliances to, as Gorbachev put it, crumble like a dry saltine cracker in just a few months. The first revolution of 1989 took place in Poland, where the non-communist trade unions in the Solidarity Movement bargained with the communist government for freer elections in which they enjoyed great success. This, in turn, sparked peaceful revolutions across Eastern Europe. The Berlin Wall fell in November that same month, and the Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia overthrew that country's communist government. In December, however, violence reigned. A firing squad executed Romania's communist dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu, and his wife. This atmosphere of possibility soon enveloped the Soviet Union itself. Frustration with a bad economy combined with Gorbachev's hands-off approach to Soviet satellites, inspiring independent movements in the republics on the USSR fringes. One by one, the Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia, declared their independence from Moscow. On August 18, 1991, concerned members of the Communist Party and the military and government placed Gorbachev under house arrest. The official reason given for his imprisonment was his inability for health reasons to lead as a president, though the public knew better. Leaders of the coup declared a state of emergency. The military moved on Moscow, but their tanks were met with human chains and citizens building barricades to protect Russian parliament. Boris Yeltsin, then the chair of parliament, stood on top of one of those tanks to rally the surrounding crowds, and the coup failed after three days. On December 8th, a newly free Gorbachev traveled to Minsk, where he met with leaders of the Republic of Belarus and Ukraine, signing an agreement that broke the two countries away from the USSR to create the Commonwealth of the Independent States. The agreement read in part the Soviet Union as a subject of international and geopolitical reality no longer exists. Just weeks later, Belarus and Ukraine were followed by eight of the nine remaining republics who declared their independence from the USSR after a meeting in Alma-Ata in today's Kazakhstan. Georgia joined two years later. Back in the Moscow, Gorbachev star was falling while another politician was rising. Boris Yeltsin, the man who had stood atop that tank before parliament, now had control of both parliament and the KGB, and Gorbachev's resignation as president was inevitable. And on Christmas Day 1991, he gave up his office, saying, we're now living in a new world. An end has been put to the Cold War and the, to the arms race, as well as to the mad militarization of the country, which has crippled our economy publicly, and attitudes and morals. And the, so, and the mighty Soviet Union has fallen. There's so much more about this if you haven't read it. The Cuban Missile Crisis and Drop-Off. There is so much going on between Kennedy and the chess game that they played. You should really take a look into it. Not only the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis, but there was a lot about the spy war that was going on between the KGB, the Politburo, and the FBI and CIA. It truly was incredible how many agents died. Thousands upon thousands tried to get into top-secret buildings, nuclear reactors, and the, the spy game that took place in it was fantastic. If you ever want to see a show that does a good job about it, um, it's The Americans, which I believe it was on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Uh, it's, it's truly fantastic. A lot is told in that, and a lot of it's accurate. And you, you get the palpable feeling of the spy games that happen between Russia and the United States. But it doesn't really talk about the socialist part where one vehicle was manufactured for the entire country of Russia, how the bread lines would go around the block, the starvation of the people, no heat, the collapse, and so much was put into defending the country, but also the fact that the economic constraints 
that Gorbachev literally cut his own throat by stopping through fare, stopping the things that were working in his practice of his economy and replacing it with something that would take time to grow was ultimately the downfall. They kept spending money on a rapid clip without anything in the bank, and then the loans were called in, and Russia ultimately was doomed. This kind of sounds familiar to the United States, China, and Saudi Arabia, doesn't it? But either way, read more into it. The Spy Game is fantastic. There's many novels, if you haven't read them, that talk about this. Dan Silva is a fantastic one. But if you haven't had a chance, dive into it more. It is a fantastic piece of history and one that I think you'd be interested in. But once again, like all socialism and all socialist countries, they have failed throughout history. Another bit of tidbit, and so has every single democracy. None of them have lasted more than 30 years, except for the United States. We are the exception. We have replaced many governments throughout history, and all of them have failed. Why is America so successful? Maybe that's for another time that we'll encroach on that question. Folks, thank you for watching tonight. I hope you had fun. Please do me a favor, like, share, follow, subscribe, do all that. Give me a quick like on the video. If you didn't like it, tell me why. Remember, we can agree, we can disagree, you can love me, you can hate me. Just don't unfriend me. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255, press 1. Traumatic brain injury, PTS, anxiety, depression are all real. 22 veterans commit suicide a day. It's too many. They need your help. Please reach out to a veteran. If you can't do that, if you have a hard time talking to vets, and that happens sometimes, give me a call. I will help with you. I will have that conversation. I've had it with many veterans. And if that doesn't work, you can give them my address at don'tunfriendme.com. Click on the VCL link at the top right-hand corner. You'll be connected to a Skype operator or through your phone to get the help you need. And if you are a civilian and you are having some problems you need to talk about, the Veteran Crisis Hotline will never turn you away. Folks, thank you for watching. God bless. That's it for 199. 200 will be on Monday. That's exciting to be there. Or am I at 190? Oh, I think I jumped the gun. Whatever, folks. Good night. Have a great weekend. I'll see you on Monday with a new episode that falls between 1 and 200. Thanks, everybody. Good night.